Be reading uh, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Good morning and welcome to our worship service. We're grateful for your presence. We are thankful to those of you who are visiting with us. We encourage you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. If you are in the process of looking for a church home, we do invite you to consider the work here. We would be honored to have you join hands with us as we seek to make the name of Christ known in this community. We're going to be looking in just a minute at Hebrews chapter 8 at verse 12. And so I would call your attention to Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, the passage that Michael read just a moment ago. We're going to be thinking for a moment or two about the theme, moving on. And as we contemplate this theme, we look at what the Hebrew writer said in chapter 8, verse 12. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. And their sins and iniquities or lawless deeds will I remember no more. One of the great blessings of being a Christian is knowing that our sins have been forgiven. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1 at verse 7, In whom we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Those of us that have obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, we know that our sins have been forgiven. Sometimes, however, we mentally know that God has forgiven us of our sins. The problem, however, is that we have difficulty moving on in life. In other words, we have trouble forgiving ourselves. And so we live in a constant state of despair because we're always looking over our shoulder, thinking about the past. And so I want us to think for a moment or two about what the writer here says in chapter 8, verse 12. The first thing that I would call your attention to is the remedy for sin. Now when you begin reading the book of Hebrews, one of the things that you need to understand is that the writer is contrasting the superiority of the law of Christ to the law of Moses. And what the writer is saying, in effect, is simply this, the law of Christ and the sacrifice of Christ is far superior to the sacrifices that were made under that old covenant. And so the writer is basically asking the Hebrew Christians, those Jewish Christians, in the first century, why would you want to go back to an inferior system? As a matter of fact, in chapter 8 at verse 6, the writer said that the covenant under which you and I now live is a better covenant. It is based upon better promises. And so in verses 7 and following, he brings to mind a prophetic statement made by Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 31 
concerning this new covenant that God would make with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. But note, if you would, what he says in verse 12 as we think about the remedy for sin. And really what we're talking about is a divine plan, God's plan to save the human family. The Lord said, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. And their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. As you and I think about this divine plan of God, I'm reminded of the words of Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, where he said that God's plan from the very beginning was to save men and women in his beloved Son, Jesus Christ. The writer said, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Well, God's plan was in place prior to the foundation of the world. What was that plan? To redeem the human family, to save the human family. And so we talk about the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. Now, the word merciful, as used by the Hebrew writer in chapter 8, verse 12, carries with it the idea of propitiation. Now, you might ask the question, what does that term mean? What does it mean when the writer said, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more? The word propitiate, really carries with it the idea of the sacrificial death of Christ. In other words, his atoning work has abated or averted the wrath of God. For example, in Romans chapter 5 at verse 8, Paul said, But God commendeth his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being justified by his blood. We shall be saved from wrath through him. When Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross, the wrath of God was averted. Now how then do we escape the wrath of Jehovah God? Well, it's by our obedience to the gospel of Christ. When we come in contact with the blood of Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 3 at verse 23, Paul said, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we know that all of us have sinned. As Paul said, there's none righteous, no, not one. Well, in verse 24, he said, Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. There's the idea. When Jesus died on Calvary's cross, the scales of justice, divine justice, were satisfied. And so through the work of Christ, the wrath of God has been averted. In the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul talks about how we await the second coming of Jesus Christ in about verse 10. And he speaks of the fact that God raised him from the dead, even Jesus. And then he said, who shall save us from wrath to come? 
And so when we talk about the remedy for sin, God's divine plan, it was based on the blood of Christ. And through the atoning work of the blood of Jesus Christ, God's wrath has been averted. Now, I know that there are a lot of people today in our world, they don't like to think about the wrath of God. Well, the Bible speaks to us about the wrath of God. And the way we escape the wrath of God is we obey the gospel of Christ. We enjoy the benefits and the blessings of the blood of Christ. All right, now think with me in the second place of not just the remedy for sin, but the removal of sin. Now we're talking about pardon or this idea of forgiveness. Look again at verse 12. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their lawless deeds or their iniquities will I remember no more. The beauty of God's forgiveness. When we talk about pardon from sin, the first thing that comes to mind is the redemption from sin that we enjoy through the blood of Jesus. Again, in Ephesians 1 verse 7, the Bible says, in whom we have redemption through his blood. The word redeem means to buy back. Jesus Christ has redeemed us from the bondage and the burden of sin. That was God's eternal plan. God was willing to give his son in our stead so that you and I might enjoy the blessings of salvation. We talked just a moment ago about the word propitiation. And what we have to understand is that God was willing to send his son to die for us because of the abundant love he had for us as members of the human family. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, John said, Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Or John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so because of the love of God and because of his great grace and mercy, he has redeemed us. Think about the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. When he said, the Son of Man has not come to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life as a ransom for the many. And so this new covenant that God has enacted through the blood of Jesus has made it possible for us to enjoy redemption from sin. We enjoy not just redemption, but also reconciliation. The Bible says that Christ reconciled both Jew and Gentile in one body, that being the church, unto God through the cross in Ephesians 2, verse 16. So, in sin, we're separated from God. That's what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2. But in Christ Jesus, that breach, that alienation, that separation that existed has been closed. In Ephesians 2.12, Paul talks about how those who are outside a covenant relationship with God, they're without hope and without God in this world. But in verse 13, he said, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off are made nigh, brought near by the blood of Christ. And so that sin problem has been dealt with. And so we enjoy redemption, we enjoy reconciliation, and we enjoy remission or the removal of sin. Now think about those people who were assembled together on Pentecost Day in Acts chapter 2. Peter indicted 
the bulk of that crowd as having been responsible for the death of Jesus Christ. Now the Bible says that when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. The Word of God is said to be living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Well, it did the job on Pentecost Day nearly 2,000 years ago. These people had been cut to the heart. And so they cried out and said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Here's what Peter said. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. They believed in Jesus. They, they knew who Christ was, and so faith was not a problem. What they needed to do was repent of what they had done and then be immersed in a watery grave of baptism so that they might contact the blood of Christ and enjoy the remission, the forgiveness of their sins. Now that's God's plan. That was God's plan from the very beginning of time to save men and women in His Son, Jesus Christ. Now when God saves us, our sins are literally hurled into infinity. The psalmist said in the long ago, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. The idea is that you and I, we don't have to meet them again. We enjoy the remission of sins, the washing away of sins. What is it that washes away the stain of sin the soil of sin in our lives. It's the blood of Christ. How do we contact the blood of Christ? Well, we're baptized into Christ. When we're baptized into Christ, we enjoy the blessings of salvation. We become members of the church of Christ because Jesus built the church. He purchased the church with his own blood. That's why when Ananias met Saul and Saul of Tarsus obeyed the gospel and later recounted this conversion story. In Acts 22, verse 16, he said, Ananias instructed him, And now, why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Our sins are washed away. Think for a moment about a garment of clothes that might be stained or soiled. It might be that they are soiled from a day's labor, a day's work, or maybe because we've been outside playing in the grass or whatever. We take those garments and then we put them in the washing machine and we put some type of detergent in there and the, the soil or the stain comes out. It's gone. Well, that's the idea when you talk about forgiveness or the remission of sins, those sins that had once been hanging over us, are removed. They're gone. But now think with me in the third place of the remembrance of sin. And now what we want to talk about is the promise of God. We said that the theme of our study today is moving on. And I really believe that what we have to do is move on when it comes to sin. And sometimes that's very difficult for us to do. Because we constantly keep dragging up the past, maybe mentally. We continue to think about what we've done in the past or what we've said in the past or where we've been in the past. 
And we fail to appreciate what the Hebrew writer said in chapter 8, verse 12. Listen to what he said. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds or their iniquities will I remember no more. The first thing I want you to see in this verse under this heading, the remembrance of sin, is the treatment for sin. How does God treat sin? Well, I said a moment ago that the covenant under which you and I now live is a better covenant, verse 6 of chapter 8. It is a covenant that is founded upon better promises. What about that old covenant? Well, in chapter 10 at verse 3, the writer said that in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sin or sins every year. Every year they were reminded of their past sins. But what about the covenant under which you and I now live? The writer said concerning our sins, our unrighteousness, our lawless deeds, our iniquities, God will remember them no more. How then does God treat our sins? He treats them as if they're gone forever. If we were to have a chalkboard up here and had a piece of chalk and began to write all over that chalkboard and literally filled that chalkboard from side to side and from top to bottom, and then we were to take an eraser and literally wipe that slate clean, that's the idea. Our sins are gone. In other words, God is not going to hold them against us anymore. He's not going to drudge them up again and remind us of what we've done, of what we've said, of where we've been. That's not the way God operates. God forgives and then He forgets. In other words, He doesn't hold it against us. Now that's a beautiful concept. Now, here's the problem. You and I, we are members of the human family. And sometimes we understand the concept, but we really have difficulty putting it into practice. Sometimes it's easier said than done. It's easy to say, I've been forgiven. What's hard is to forget it. And by that I mean to look at it from this vantage point. God has forgiven me. What happened in the past is in the past. God's not going to bring that up. He's not going to make me face that again. God is saying through Jesus Christ what you need to do is move on. Go forward. Look at the life of Paul. Paul had been a blasphemer. He had put Christians to death. As a matter of fact, Luke tells us that Saul consented to the death of Stephen. Read Acts 26, verses 9 through 11 sometime. And note what Saul of Tarsus did to those who were members of the body of Christ. But Saul was a forgiven man. 
And Saul could move forward because God had forgiven him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he said, the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. He talked about those who were adulterers, idolaters, fornicators, homosexuals, drunkards, revilers, extortioners. And then he said, and such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were justified. What happened to those people? They had been forgiven. And God said, I will be merciful to your unrighteousness. And your sins and your iniquities, I will remember no more. What happened in the past, in the lives of those people, was in the past. Think for a moment about problems sometimes that develop between friends. Something will happen and there's a breach in that relationship. And then over a period of time, those two parties will come together and they will make amends. They'll, they'll simply say, well, I forgive you. But then, as is the case on many occasions, one or maybe both of those parties will walk away and they say they've forgiven one another, but then at a later time, they'll bring it up and they'll say, well, you remember when you said this, or you remember when you did that. That's how people operate. But that's not how God operates. That's why we need the blood of Christ availing in our life today. Because what is in the past is in the past. And when you obey the gospel, you can move on. You can live a new life. You know, there are a lot of people in our world today. It's hard for us to imagine, but they really and truly believe they're beyond hope. If you sit down with them and you start talking to them about their spiritual life, their lives have been so fractured and so fragmented by sin and unrighteousness, their attitude is, I'm beyond hope. I'm beyond repair. And yet Jesus said in Luke chapter 4 that he had been anointed to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted. God can remedy our sin problem. Doesn't matter where we've been, doesn't matter how far we've sunk, God can take care of the problem of sin in our life. And so really what Christianity does, it affords us the opportunity to start life anew. Now you just think about that concept. We think about what do we have to offer Olive Branch, what do we have to offer this community? Let me tell you what we have to offer. We can offer people a new life in Christ Jesus. We can say wherever you've been, whatever you've done, let me tell you, that can be in the past. And you can move on. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, rather verse 17, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Jesus talked about the new birth 
A new birth implies a new start, a new beginning, a new lease on life. And so it may be that you're here today, maybe you have been grappling with the past. Maybe you're a Christian. And you know that God says he has forgiven you, but your problem is you can't let it go. You can't walk away from it. And so you're living with a false sense of guilt in your life because you have not taken to heart what God has said through his word. On the other hand, it might be the case that you're not a Christian. Well, if that's the case, your sins haven't been forgiven. And unfortunately, if you step out into eternity, you will meet those sins on the day of judgment. And the Bible says, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us must give an account of himself to God. We'll have to give an account for the deeds done in the body. But the blood of Christ can make us whole. If you're not a Christian today, what would you need to do? Well, first of all, you need to believe Jesus is the Son of God, John 8, 24. You need to repent of every sin. That means to turn from a life of sin, Luke 13, 3. Confess his name before others, Matthew 10, 32, and then be buried with him in a watery grave of baptism, Acts 2, 38. You'll enjoy the remission, the forgiveness of your sins. God will add you to the church, Acts 2, 47. If you live faithfully until death, the Lord will one day bestow on you the crown of life. If you're here, you're not faithful to the Lord. Maybe you've gone back into a life of sin. You know you're not living as you should. Guess what? There's hope for you. God will forgive. And God will not only forgive, but he will forget. In other words, he'll put those sins behind you. The Bible says... Confess your sins one to another. Pray one for another. Could we pray with you and for you today with the assurance that God will abundantly pardon? You see, there is the treatment of sin and the truth about sin. When God says he forgives, he means it. There are a lot of people, there are a lot of people in our world today. The only thing you can say is they're just dishonest. They're not truthful. The Bible says of God, he cannot lie. God is truthful. He is faithful to his word. And when God says he will forgive, he will forgive. Would you come as we stand and sing?